Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Amen. So take your Bibles, open them to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13, we're going to pick up where we left off last time in verse 5 in a Bible study that I've entitled, The Joy of Generosity. The Joy of Generosity. Notice verse 5. Let your conduct be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear What can man do to me? Now, when you study any of the letters written by Paul the Apostle, letters like Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and what I believe he's the author of Hebrews, you'll notice that he follows a predictable pattern. In his letters, he'll spend the first half of his letter laying down the theological framework of the character and nature of God. He'll reveal it in such a way where you understand who God is, and what he desires in our lives. Then in the second half of the letter, he'll then give you the application. He'll tell you how to respond to what you've learned about God. And that's the same here in Hebrews, although it's far more than half. As we come to chapter 13, he's giving us the application to a group of Hebrew Christians that were drifting away, doubting God's word, dealing with all of the trials and tribulations of a commitment to follow Christ. The theological, biblical foundation of Hebrews is the superiority of Christ. That, that's what will help you when you're struggling, is to get your eyes back on Jesus Christ and to understand who He is. Why? Because Paul follows this pattern, and any good teacher will as well, because what you believe will dictate how you behave. What you believe will dictate how you behave. That's why the enemy is always wanting you to believe a lie and wanting you to have some distorted view of who Jesus is. Every false teaching, every cult, every false teacher has it wrong with Jesus. They don't understand who he is and they distort him and misuse him. Your thought life This is very important, church. Your thought life is always translated into your practical life. You've got to guard your minds. You have your minds renewed by the washing of the water of the word. Have your your minds transformed by God's word. Otherwise, if you're not diving in and allowing the word of God to change you, then your behavior is going to be horrible. You're going to believe a lie. Jot it down in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 13. It says this. Peter says, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust, as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. You see, he says, take care of your mind. And then he leads you, hey, once your mind is in the right place, live a holy life. Live a life set apart for God. Our minds must be conformed into the image of Christ by the word of God. 
We must have the right theology, church, because that will lead to the right behavior. Let me give you some fancy words. If you were to go to seminary, they teach it to you this way. You have to have the right orthodoxy in order to have the right orthopraxy. Now, those are fancy words you can use in Bible trivia one day, but all they're saying is this, to have the right teaching and the right understanding of who God is will lead you to have the right practice. And it doesn't happen any other way. If you have the wrong beliefs, then it's going to lead to wrong behavior. So here to a group of struggling, wrestling believers ready to turn their back on Jesus, he says, you've got to deal with the heart issue of covetousness. Let your conduct be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. You see, church, there is a joy in generosity, but there is anguish that comes from discontentment and covetousness. Covetousness is a popular sin, even though we don't mention it very much. As a matter of fact, we've hardly ever used that word at all. Word that's close to covetousness, but not the same, we may use more often, and we'll speak of jealousy. You know, when you're jealous of someone, you're jealous of what they have or perhaps who they are. And jealousy is a very common sin as well. Covetousness takes it one step further, where jealousy says, you know, I'm not happy that you have what you have. It makes me upset that you have what you have and I don't have it. Covetousness takes that feeling one step further and says, you know, I'm really unhappy that you have what I don't have, and I really want exactly what you have. And if you nurture that feeling, it will cause you to go after it specifically. Let me show you. Turn over to Exodus chapter 20. This is such an important sin to avoid, such an important sin to repent of, that God included it in the top 10, the 10 commandments. So notice with me in Exodus chapter 20, jump down to verse 17. And look at the instruction to this new nation coming out of Egypt. After he says, don't murder, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Notice verse 17. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor. So let's get real here. If any of you have been coveting your neighbor's donkey right now, repent. No, of course, we apply it differently today, doesn't it? I guess you could say it this way. You you don't covet what other people have. So much so that you would want it and do anything you need to do to get it. And I think specifically, I think of this coveting of your neighbor's wife or your neighbor's husband in a very real way leads people to wreck and ruin marriages. And it's not from the Lord. God has a will and a purpose for your life, and he has one for mine. Coveting is a form of discontentment. If you are in a place of coveting right now, then you are unhappy with what God has given you. You're mad at God. It's an issue between you and God. Now it happens between us, but the real issue is between you and God. You're mad at God because someone has something that you don't have that you think you deserve. And this kind of sin goes deep down and drives a person to extremely bad, hurtful, harmful behavior that literally destroys lives. The answer to covetousness, according to the Bible here in Hebrews, is contentment. Another word for contentment is satisfaction, that you would choose to be satisfied with what you have and where you are in life. 
I'm content. I trust God. He has me where he has me, and that's his will for my life, and I trust him. I trust him in the good times and in the challenging times. I trust him when I have a lot. I trust him when I have a little. Contentment is a gift that God gives to us in our heart. And here's a principle. If you're taking notes, you got to jot this down. This is a very important principle that will help you navigate through these challenging times and will just deal with the covetousness that's in your heart. Here's a principle. You ready? If you don't have it, there's a good reason why. If you don't have something that you desperately want, there is a good reason why you don't. Here's the scripture, Psalm 84, verse 11. Psalm 84, verse 11. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. And here's the key. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. If it's good and it's God's will for you, you will have it. It will come. But if it's not good for you, and it's not God's will for you, then you will never have it. It will never be given to you in the will of God. And so if it's not, if you don't have something right now, there's a good reason why. And you can trust God while you wait. And notice what he says. He said he gives us two things to deal with when it comes to covetousness and contentment. He gives us two principles. He says, number one, in the end of verse five, why are we to be content? Because he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So number one, you have his presence. You have his presence. God, for every born again man, woman, and child, God literally lives inside of you. You are never alone. God is with you through the good and the bad, through the highs and the lows. He is with you. You have his presence. Never alone. And then secondly, you have his provision. It says there in verse 6, So we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I won't fear. What can man do to me? God's going to take care of me. And he's going to be with me. And we have his presence, and we have his love, and we have his acceptance. Everything that we need is found in Christ. Now turn over to Luke chapter 12, because Jesus has something very important to say here. Go with me to Luke chapter 12. And pick up there in verse 13. I want you to see it in your own Bible because this needs to be marked. You can highlight it. You can circle it. You can write a star next to it. Whatever you need to do, remember the words of Jesus here. Now, when you're reading the words of Jesus, we place a great emphasis on the words of Jesus, the eternal Son of God, as he speaks to us. But, but I don't want you to think like the red letters are more important than the black and white letters on the page because all of the scriptures inspired by God. But we do want to pay special attention to Messiah, who gives us the new covenant. And notice what he says to us in Luke 12, pick up in verse 13. Then one from the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And that's stuff, right? Divide the stuff. We need the stuff. I want my share of the stuff. And Jesus responds, man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? And then he said to them, take heed and beware of covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Your life doesn't consist in what you have or what you don't have. We see so many today trying to get as much as they possibly can, as fast as they can. I haven't seen it very often, uh, but I, I, not lately, but 
years ago, there used to be a bumper sticker that said, he who dies with the most toys wins. That's not true. No, that's not true at all. The only thing that matters when you die is whether you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ. That's going to determine your eternal destiny. Your decision that you make today in this life determines your eternal life for all of eternity. And that's this is not to accomplish, not to, uh, to accumulate, but to trust. Jesus tells us two things. He says, take heed and beware. And when you hear those words, you want to pay attention. This is just the complete, what Jesus is teaching is just the absolute complete opposite of our culture. Our culture emphasizes and measures and, and associates by what you have and who you are. So it's really important where you work, and it's really important how much money you make, and it's really important what neighborhood you live in, and it's really important what car you drive. That's how this world measures things. This world measures things as how much do you have, and how far have you gone, and how much education do you have, and what level are you, and where you live, and what neighbor, all of those things, it's really important to the world, but not important to God. What's important to God are the souls of men. What's important to God is you. He values you. So some of you may be well far in advance in all those categories today. And you know what? I want you to know God loves you. He sent his son Jesus Christ to die for you. Others of you, you, you may have absolutely nothing. And I, you need to know this. God loves you. And he gave his son Jesus Christ to die for you. I just met a brother right after first service. He comes up and he says, Pastor, I want to meet you. I, I was listening to you day. I was listening to Grace Sifim day and night in the Larimer County Jail. And he just got out of jail. He's just getting back on his feet. And you know what? He needs to know that God loves him. He sent his son Jesus Christ to die for him. See, life doesn't consist in the abundance of things that you have, even though the world's just pushing it, pushing it, pushing it, pushing it. You know, multi-billion dollar ways to push ads at you to make you feel like you don't have something that you really need to be satisfied and you didn't even know you needed it until you saw the ad. You didn't even know it existed until you saw it. And it's just the message after message after message after message that stirs up what? Discontentment. And discontentment stirs up what? Jealousy. And jealousy almost always ends in covetousness. And covetousness will wreck your life, ruin your life, perhaps even lead you to waste your life on things that you can't possibly take with you. And that's an important thing to understand. Not only will you not take things with you, but while you have them here, rust will ruin them. People will break in and steal them. That's what Jesus said. You'll worry about them. It'll be all on your mind. Jesus says, Watch out for the way the world lives because possessions can be very dangerous things. Now, in and of themselves, they're not, that's not the issue. Possessions, that's not the issue. The issue is your heart towards them. Let me read to you what Paul wrote to young Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. Listen. Now, godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain that we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. 
For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed away from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. That's some heavy truths. Watch out, Jesus says. And then Paul picks up and filled with the Holy Spirit and says, look, godliness with contentment is going to get you everything that you want. It's going to place you in the perfect position of being satisfied and trusting because you have his presence and you have his provision. Look, covetousness is a rampant sin in our society. You could describe it as the unquenchable thirst for getting more, for having more, for more of something that we think we need in order to be satisfied. It could be a thirst for money. It could be a thirst for power. It could be a thirst for position. But it's a thirst that can easily destroy a person. And it's a sin that's not so easily recognized because we have an ability to justify so many different things in our lives. Not only that, but it's a sin of the heart. So there could be many covetous people among us today, but we don't know because it's an inside job. It starts to corrupt you from the inside. When your eyes are wandering and you're struggling, you're wrestling, just like, you know, just like these Hebrew believers are tempted to stray away. Well, Paul puts, hits it on the head. He says, look, one of the reasons people stray away is they become covetous. They're not satisfied in the Lord. They always have to have more and will do anything for more. I mean, covetous was some, covetousness was something that Paul had in his life. He didn't even know it until he started reading the Bible. You can jot it down in Romans 7, 7. He says, it, I didn't even know about covetousness until the Lord said, you shall not covet. That's why, one of the reasons why I love the Word of God. I love God's Word. God's Word will tell me things about myself that I either don't currently know or I need to know. It's like a mirror, the Bible says. And I'll look at it and I'll go, oh, that's a mess. The Holy Spirit will use His Word and it'll reveal things to me that I didn't even know. I didn't even know I was wrestling with that. I didn't even know that was a big issue. I'm learning things. And yesterday, it just struck me as I was teaching, yesterday was my spiritual birthday. So as of yesterday, I've been walking with the Lord for 30 years. Can you imagine? 30 years. That's a long time. And, and you would think after 30 years that finally I've arrived. <laughs> Not true. I mean, there are days I'm just like, wow, Lord, I'm still dealing with that. Wow, Lord, that's still an issue in my life. Oh, wow, Lord, man, I, you love me even in the midst of this. And so I need God's word because I still have a lot to learn. I still have a lot to grow. I still have things that God's chipping away. Like, like listen, you need God's word. And the last moment you need God's word is when you wake up in his presence. Then you don't need his word anymore because you've got the word in his presence. You'll be waking up in his presence. But until then, the word of God is so important. You know, something you approach the Word of God sometimes like, oh, I have to read it, and maybe I will. And, you know, even some of you, I don't read the Bible because I don't understand it. If you're a born-again believer, this is what you need to do. You need to read the Bible just obeying God. Don't try to read it like a textbook, and you have to figure everything out, and you're reading it like you're going to take a test. No, all of life is a test. So just read the Word of God and let the Holy Spirit work inside of you. 
like read it for what it is. Like, like in my desk drawer in my office at home, I have cards over the years that Marie has given to me and my kids. Marie's given to me for my birthday, for Valentine's. And, and when I take that out, when I take and happen to open up and I see them and I take one out, I don't read the card like I'm going to pass a test. Like Marie's going to walk in and say, what did I write to you in 1998? I don't know, babe. I, I, let me go back. Let me study and figure out what you wrote me. No, when I take them out, it takes me to a time, to a moment in time where Marie expressed her love and care and concern for me. And I read it like, wow, this is special. This is sweet. That's why I saved them. That's why I love It's like, yeah, this is so good. I don't, and, and I read the Bible the same way. I'm not, I'm not. Now, I, I study to prepare a Bible study and such. But you know what's more important is I, I handle the text properly. But what's more important is that I'm open to the Holy Spirit to give you a word for this moment that will change your life. And so I'm not just studying it so I can be prepared here. When I read the Bible, I'm reading it from my own life. When I wake up this morning, early this morning, and I dive into the word and I, I, I start reading it, as my morning devotions before I come to church, I want God to speak to me. I want him to remind me of his love and his care and concern. And I, I say the things that he reminds me the most of is his presence and his provision. I'm just so grateful that God has been faithful to me over the years. He's always been with me, never left me, never forsaken me. And he's always provided for every one of my needs. There hasn't been any time where God hasn't provided for us. Now that's the rub, isn't it? The rub is we think God's going to provide for all of our wants. And that's the pathway of covetous. It's all my want. I want, I want, I want, I want. But what happened with, with Paul when he was writing the Bible says that what we need is food and clothing. And with that, godly character. If I have godly character and I find myself in a position of contentment, then the Bible says I have great gain. It's more important than my bank account, more important than my degree, more important than my place at work is godliness and contentment puts me at a place of great gain. And as I read the word, there are things that I didn't even know about myself that God continues to reveal so that I, be, I might become both on the inside and through my actions more Christ-like. Material possessions are temporary even though we seem to be accumulating them at a rapid pace. You see around town as much as I do, because we've been looking for land for a long time. And there'll be parcels of land that we look at, and then we kind of set it aside for prayer, and when we come back, they build a storage place on it. There's a storage place there, and a storage place there, and a storage place there, on top of your garage, on top of your basement, on top of the trunk of your car. I mean, we got plenty of stuff. There's all kinds of stuff, but it's just temporary. We're not going to take anything with us into eternity. Not only is it temporary, but it's easily lost. It says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Your heart follows what you treasure. It reminded me, you know, as my kids have moved out of the house, they're my treasure. So my, I follow them. Like my daughter's away from the house right now. And so I'm very, I'm thinking about her all the time. Is she okay? Is she safe? Is some boy tried to talk to her? Because that's a big no-no. We don't like that. And so I'm texting her and if she doesn't text me in a millisecond in response. I'm like, what happened? Is she all right? I hope she's okay. Because that's where my heart is. 
My heart is with my daughter. Wherever she is on the planet, I'm going to be thinking about it, about my son, about my wife. I'm going to be thinking about because that's I treasure them. They're valuable to me. They're important. I would do anything for them at any time. And the other day, I text Caitlin. She didn't respond to me all day. <laughs> she's probably not watching right now, but she's going to be in trouble. <laughs> she must have had a full day. But I think about her all the time. Now, my kids are not your treasures, so you're not thinking much about them. But you have people. You, you have maybe a church family. You, you have, you see, where your treasure is. And of course, now Jesus is talking money here. You know, we treasure things other than money, but Jesus is teaching specifically on money here. And if there is one thing that Americans worship, it's money. But it's not Americans. It's humans. <laughs> Money's super important. And so if, you're, if your treasure's Bitcoin, that's all you care about is Bitcoin. If your treasure's in the stock market, that's all you're into is the stock market. If your treasure is into, you know, getting that one degree to get that promotion, to get that corner office, then that's what you're into. That's what cakes up your mind. But you got to be careful to have, make sure that your treasure is eternal. Because when your treasure's in heaven, then you think a lot about heaven. And how to impact this world with an eternal value. You know, I have three kids. And one of my children is in heaven. So my treasure is in heaven, along with my parents and other people that I love. So in the last many years, I've been thinking a lot about heaven. That's where my treasure is. Not only that, but I also want to be generous. See, I believe, I believe that the antidote to covetousness is generosity. I believe the people on the planet earth that should be the most generous are born again men, women, and children. We should be known as the most generous people on the planet. And we should be the most generous. We should give. We should give beyond even what we can think. Because every time I give, God is doing a work in my heart and a work through me. I think we should be generous. I believe that giving helps us to display the love of Jesus Christ. But the problem is, is so many today are so tight, and so many Christians are so tight-fisted and stingy with what God has given to them. It's almost as if you think you own it. You think it's yours and it's going to be yours and nobody else is going to get it and you're going to hide it and you're going to hoard it and you're going to protect it and then you're going to find yourself so discontented and you're going to be upset with God because you wonder why. You wonder why things become so difficult when your hands are so tight-fisted. I believe God wants us to be generous. He wants us to be generous everywhere. You know, here's a couple ways right away that you can begin to be generous. This is an easy one, an easy one. I want you to hear me out and consider this, please. If you want to learn generosity, start and begin to give a really good tip to your server the next time you're at a restaurant. I mean a really good tip. I mean, if you want to be super, some of you have the ability, you have the ability and the means that whatever the bill was for the food, you could tip that amount as a generous gift to the server. You, you could be generous. So instead, we're kind of getting out the calculator and we're like, oh, I don't know. And so should we round down to the second penny and should we save a penny? Like, and you're just like, chick, 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 you know, I don't know. Should we give a dollar or a dollar 25? Like, look, 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 look. When you have a generous heart, you just let the Holy Spirit give you 
the insight to bless your server. Do you know how hard they work? You know how difficult it is. You know how little they get paid. And you know how much they served you. And you go, oh, no, I don't know. They didn't serve me at all. I don't know. Maybe they need double then as a blessing to show them the generosity of God that awaits them by faith. But here we are as Christians. Oh, no, I'm, I'm going to leave a penny because I'm going to show them. Yeah, I know what you showed them. You showed them a tight-fisted, stingy, critical attitude, even though they may have done, you know, a poor job. Did it ever occur to you that you could ask them how they're doing? Maybe it was a bad day. Maybe they just experienced a death in the family. Maybe their mom just got out of the hospital. Maybe it's been a hard year or a hard two years. And maybe this is the eighth shift in a row that they've worked, and they've worked doubles and they're tired. You know, it could be a thousand things, but as believers, wouldn't it be great to step into their life? Wouldn't it be great to be generous? And it's very easy. Like, okay, so even something like this, even something like this, like if you would normally give $5, then just give 10. And I'll tell you what's going to happen. What's going to happen, especially those of you that that this is already like, I don't think so. I don't like that pastor. I don't like this church. what does he have, a side job as a server or something, second job? No. So, so already, what's going to happen is you give the first time, it's not going to feel good. You're just going, oh, just going to do it. All right, I'll do it. You do it a second time. And, you go, oh. and a third time, the Holy Spirit goes, see? You see? You see what giving does? You see what giving does? You see that? You see what it feels like? It's more blessed to give, like Jesus said, than to receive. And then it connects you with the person and you ask them, how are they doing? I know I've gone, I, I don't do this personally, but I've gone to, to dinner and to lunch with folks. Well, they'll just stop. They're really open. They'll just stop. And, and before anything, they so we're about to pray for our meal. And they ask the server, how can we pray for you and your family? I'm like, oh, it's always so good. It always ends so well, too. It's always a great bridge. I don't know why I haven't adopted that yet. Let me jot that down and add that to my life, you know? But as you learn to be generous, God will bless you. God will bless you. Take your hands and put fists together. Would you take them up and then raise them like you're worshiping? Anybody worship like that? Anybody? I mean, who were, how do we worship? How do we worship? Open hands. Open hands. That's what giving does. When you give away, you have open hands. And then what happens? Talk to somebody who has the gift of giving and they'll tell you what happens. They'll tell you this. They have adopted this into their life. I know Pastor Chuck adopted it in his life as well. And, and he, and, and, this is where they're at, and, and I've adopted in my life, and that's simply this principle. You can't outgive God. You just can't outgive God. And, and as you give of your time and your talent and your treasures, and you, you just give away, you know, the, the, the Lord has blessed so many, all of us in this room with incredible talents. Some of you are some of the smartest, most you know, technical, you're just so blessed. Like, like think about what you do in the world and what you do for a living, the different places you are and all of the talent that you have and everything. And, And a lot of you, you have the talent you have because you got it at your job. And not only did you get it at your job, but you got paid to be trained to do what you do so well today. Except that in our culture, There's this mindset that if I am highly trained and highly technical, then I'm going to do for you if you pay me. If you pay me. But I think as believers, there has to be part of us that says, no, I know I'm going to make a living and I'm going to do that for sure. For sure. You're going to provide for the needs of your family. However, God has blessed me so much that I'm just going to bless you. 
I don't want anything from you. I just want to bless you. Let me give you an example. Uh, back when there was a phone, there's not a phone on my desk here because we ran out of lines. So someone else has my phone. But when I had a phone on my desk here and it rang, I would answer it. Sitting at my desk, I'd answer, hey, Calvary Chapel. And, and, and I can tell you one of the saddest calls that I would receive or I, have, I would answer is somebody saying, you know, me and my wife, we're really going through things and, and it's really hard and we need some help. How much would you guys charge to counsel us? Charge? Where did you get that idea? How much would we charge? I'll tell you how much we would charge. Nothing. Because freely we received and freely we give. Where did the idea that a church would charge to sit down with somebody and help them work through their marriage, where did that come from? I'll tell you where it came from. This world. This world. Freely we receive, freely we give. Now, understand, I do know that there's a place for professionals and things of deep trauma and stuff, and and certainly there's probably going to be a limit on what, but I'll tell you what we'll do. We're not professional counselors here. We never claim to be, but we are men of God, and we will open the Bible, we will pray with you, and we will help you see what God has to say about your life. And we'll walk alongside of you, and we will hope the best in your life. And when you lack faith, you can lean on our faith, and we'll come together. But like to charge for it? Never. No. No, we will serve you because freely we give. God provides for all of our needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. We will not charge you. That's not how it works here. God takes care of us. Generosity. Let me give you another thing that would help you in giving. You ready? If you are disobedient in not giving of your tithes and offerings to this church, obey God. It is so easy. This is an easy thing to do. And oftentimes when people have this this deep-seated sin in their lives, if you peel back the layers of their life, they're not givers either. They're not givers. They don't do the easy things. You know how easy it is to write a check or set up online? You know how easy that is? They go, oh no, pastor, what kind of church are we in? Pastor's begging for money. I'm not begging for money. God doesn't need your money. God does not need your money. He's the one that gave it to you. This church, by extension, we don't need your money either. Truly. You know, this church existed without any money. It started at zero. And whatever God would take us along the way, he provide. No, what we, what we need, we, we need, the church doesn't need your giving. We need to give. We need to be generous people. This is an easy one. So what do people do with it? You know, they wrestle with this. I know I did as a new believer. I walked into a church like this, and I remember thinking, because uh, uh, in that stage of my life, I mean, I was very, I like to call it conservative. Marie would call it stingy or cheap, all right? So, so I walk into a church like the born again, and they started passing the plate, and I'm like, they, this church don't need my money. And I didn't give. <laughs> the truth is the church didn't need that for me to give. I needed to give. See, God doesn't, God, God doesn't use giving is fundraising. He uses giving in our lives to raise up his kids and disciple us. You know, for example, we're sitting in a room right now in a building. It's beautiful, wonderful, very useful. Uh, we did this very frugally and conservatively, but we use it under the, under the Lord. You are living, many of you, because you're newer to the church, many of you are living in the generosity of previous generations of our church. That when we didn't have, when this was just a, land, a plot of dirt with weeds and those little stickers that stick on your socks. That's all this property was, and trees and things. There was no building here. There was nothing here. 
And we asked. As a matter of fact, it reminded me of when we were entering into that phase of praying about, who knows, we never knew when we would get into a building. We didn't know. We bought the land and then we waited. And then the Lord just kept moving forward and we're very grateful for that. But during that time, we had many companies contact us and want to represent us in raising the money for the church. And they would come in with their slick, uh, you know, flyers and things up on there and they'd hand things out to you in envelopes or whatever they did. And they would come and they would say, hey, we'll raise. If you need X amount of dollars, we will raise it. We guarantee it. It will happen and it will happen by this date. And to all of them, we said, no. No, because we have a principle that God handed down to us and it's simply this. Where God guides, he provides. And so if he wants us to build something, he's going to provide. And he's going to provide through the life of this church. Besides, those guys that come in, as well-meaning as they are, they wanted to take, I don't remember the exact numbers, but let's just say they wanted to take 20% of your money, God's money, for the privilege of raising it. And I said, no way, why don't we just pray and ask the people? And so here at Calvary, if you're new, we're not going to beg you for money. We're not, I'm not, we're not going to use guilt or coercion. We will tell you about needs. We will. We'll ask you because how will you ever know if you don't, how will you ever give if you don't know there's a special need? And so we'll lay it before you. And, you know, for those of you who've been here for a while, we haven't really had any big things come up because we're still looking for land. We're still looking for land. The land that we were looking at eight years ago is gone. And most of them have storage units on them anyway. So like there's just, it's just not available right now. So what is God teaching us? To be content. It's like, fine, Lord, we're good. It's a great place. We're grateful for what you've given us. We're grateful for the facility. We're grateful. We're, we were looking to move, and perhaps we will still soon, so we're still saving, but we won't coerce you. We won't beg you. And some have asked, well, why, Ed, don't you take a formal offering? It's just because when I came to this church, that's, they were already doing this agape box thing, and I thought, what a great idea. Why don't we just be a church that depends on the Lord? Why don't we just do that? And he has led us now for 21 years, providing for our every need. And God has been. One of the things, as I'm sharing this, one of the things that always comes to mind is that this is a generous church. You are a generous people. Never any bill, never anything with salaries. Never have we had an issue providing for whatever is needed in this church on top of all that flows through us to help other churches, to help other missionaries. There's so much that goes through this church that we, don't, we wouldn't have time to cover it every week. God has just been so faithful. W- whatever, it's a church plan, a missionary, some crisis, some difficulty, um, whatever it might be, the Lord provides. I think of even in the, the provision of needs and then things that are far outside needs. You see, God, every, every church has its own direction, own vision, right? Own commitment. And our commitment is the word of God. That's our commitment. We, I am fully 100% committed to teach you the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, beginning to end. That's my commitment. We also feel that burden to provide sound Bible teaching beyond the walls. And that's where we harness all the technology that we possibly can to get the word of God out, to, to have it, you know, just thinking about being online. And, and then came the radio. And it began with just a little slot at 7 o'clock on an AM radio station here in town. 
And we started to provide. It's like, what do we have here? We don't really have much, but we have the word of God. So let's put it on the radio and send it out. Maybe the Lord will use it. And he did. And then it was another time slot. Then it was another station. Then it was another station. And then the bill became so high that we started thinking, you know what? It might be good to buy a station. It might be good. Not only would it be good, but we could provide this city 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It was just the city. We didn't even think about covering all the way down to Pueblo West or now even praying about camp. We didn't even think that all the way up to Cheyenne. We're just like our city. We just want to bless our city. And God had far greater things. And then, then through the gracious, generous giving of this church family, we were able to purchase a station. We were able to purchase two stations so that you are a part of this. You are a part of Every day, all day, except when, the, except when we have little problems. Every day, all day, the Word of God goes out and changes lives. Even to the guy that was here to introduce himself to me, that was in the Larimer County Jail, receiving the Word of God all day, every day, as much as he could. Somehow, your generosity is going to be seen at the Bema Seat of Christ. I don't know how God's all going to sort it out. But you're a part of this church, or maybe now, even after this is our 11th year of radio, uh, Grace FM, we have a lot of supporters that aren't a part of our church, but are a part of the bigger church of Christ. They partner together. Somehow at the Bema Seed in our little area of Denver, God is going to sort it out and say, reward, 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 reward for all the lives that get changed by the word of God. That's what generosity can do. We can't do everything. Like sometimes people will come, why don't you do what that church is doing? I'll tell you why. Because that church is doing it. And they're good at it. So bless them. Encourage them. We can't do everything. But we can be really focused on what God's called us to do. And your generosity helps. Your generosity blesses. And it, it just helps, you know, in the broader scope of what happens in a church. But it also blesses you. Because every time you give, you open up your hands, you open up your hands, you open up your hands. So that the Lord can fill them again. And you just keep going through life. You're not out giving God. It's so beautiful. And God can do a work in you. And when you're generous, again, talk to, it reminded me of a brother that I need to call. I haven't talked to him in many years. Uh, he just has the gift of giving. And I want to encourage him because he came to mind as I was teaching. And you talk to anyone that has a gift of giving, and I'll tell you what you won't find. Covetousness and discontentment. Because they're just looking to bless other people. And the Lord just, man, and it doesn't even have to be money. I mean, we're talking about treasures because Jesus did, but it doesn't have to be. It could be your talent, you know. Like, I don't know why we have all this talent. And then we're like, well, you know, I'm going to just do a side gig, man. I'm going to do a side gig. You know, maybe you need to do a side gig, but maybe you don't. Maybe you just need to bless somebody and don't ask for anything in return. Just say, you know what? I'm going to do this under the Lord and he will repay me. And just could be like you could step into something that would blow your mind. It would just be amazing unbelievable because my heart has a tendency to wander it has a tendency to stray it drifts away and I have to ask where's my treasure because my heart is following my treasure and could it be that my treasure things far more than I treasure my Lord because as important as my wife and my kids are as important as you are as the church Jesus and my walk with him is far more important far more important And he has more for me as he has more for you. And as I choose to invest my life, my resources, which really aren't mine, they're 
belong to him in the kingdom of God, he'll bless that. And just one thing you can expect here, church, you, you won't be forced, you won't be coerced, you won't be guilted to give. It's between you and the Lord. And I know he'll move you and I know he'll bless you. I, I know he'll do that. Because we live out this truth where God guides, he provides. And his provision comes from your relationship with him. Your money is actually his. And he'll guide and direct you of where he wants you to use it. How he wants you to multiply it. How he wants you to use unrighteous mammon for the kingdom of God. Some of you are so good in investing. And some of you are so good at businesses. Some of you, some of you are so good in multiplying things. Why do you think the Lord has given that to you? For the kingdom. He wants you to use it for his glory. And so perhaps it just starts with all of that to say this. Maybe it just starts when you go out to lunch or dinner tonight. You just choose to be generous, tipping your server and thanking them and encouraging them. You know, I think of when you get a gift card that somebody gives to you that was a gift to begin with, and, and the gift is so, and the meal is not that much, you just sign the whole card over to them. You're just like, here, it's unto you. And you thank them, and you look at them in the eye, and you get to know them, and maybe it's a restaurant you frequent. I mean, the doors, the opportunity for God to use you is great, and he is not done on the earth today. Amen? Amen. So, Father, thank you for the privilege of uh, serving you today. And uh, it's a great message, a great title, a great opportunity to learn to be generous. And there's room in all of us to be generous people. It's, there's room in our hearts, God, to open up our hands before you symbolically, but also purposefully so that we can be a conduit, God, of your resources, whatever they might be, intelligence, you know, money, uh, fixing cars, computers, even I think of the snow team that was out here all night. We, we come and it's safe and, and good to walk, but there were guys out there working their tails off. Not for us necessarily, but for you. It's what they love to do and they give freely and we get to benefit from it. And so bless them, Lord, and encourage them. And may you be glorified in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.